across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, with an hour of local food and drink news and stories. I'm Matt Bentman and here are Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with What's On Today. Despite the chilly weather, it's an outdoorsy sort of programme today. I'll be talking with Francesco, Diego and James about the development of Hobson Square in Clay Farm as a foodie destination and their plans for the future. And I'll also be talking with Dave Fox of Trumpington Allotments about how to stop the cold weather killing your crops and what to do in April. We'll talk to Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, about what foraging can be done at the moment and what to do with what you've found. How does sweet and sour magnolia sauce sound? We'll be getting some updates on pubs' outdoor reopening plans too. And we've plenty of local food and drink news as well, including, towards the end of the programme, some job vacancies. But first, the very sad news that Stella Pereira died in the early hours of last Sunday. Many people who listen to this programme will know that Stella was a unique talent. Her supper clubs were extraordinary for the food over which she took enormous care and gave great attention to detail, for the presentation which had such style and originality, and for the atmosphere she created, which was warm, good-humoured, relaxed. She had enormous abilities as a cook, an artist, a photographer. Her last supper club was in 2017, where I sat opposite her good friend Corinne Paillet of Gourmandise, Corinne wrote a much-appreciated eulogy on Instagram when she heard the news, and I spoke with her earlier this week about how Corinne met Stella, how they became good friends, and about Stella. I met Stella, I think it was about 10 years ago. I was doing a delivery on Norfolk Street in Cambridge, and we just bumped into each other. And I didn't really know her, I only knew her name. And so we bumped onto each other on Norfolk Street, and she says oh, you're Corinne from Gourmandise. And I just like, I looked at her and I just thought, I don't know who you are. She says, oh, I'm Stella, Stella Pereira. And uh, that's how we met. And she said, uh, she says, oh, I love your Amandine. And we went, we became friends. Yeah, we became friends. And we had a lot in common with, with Stella because she spent her childhood in Malawi, near Mozambique, and then went to Portugal. And that we had a similar culinary heritage, I would say, because although I'm French, I come from Reunion Island, you see, and Reunion is the Indian Ocean. It's not far from Mozambique. You know, the spices, you know, the way we cook, the way I cook and the way she cooks are very similar. Different flavors, but, you know, and so I think that's why we kind of got on straight away. Her cooking was extraordinary. 
I was just listening back to an interview I did with her after yes. the the last supper club she did, which was in yes. uh, March 2017. And she was yes. just talking about the dishes. And one of the dishes, I've just been listening to it, had four salt cod, which she always had, uh, yes. salt cod um, cooked in four different ways. And that was just one dish. You know, in many yes. people's eyes, that was four dishes. And yes. just the effort she put into it was extraordinary, wasn't it? And that's the other thing about Stella, because I, I used to tell her, I said, you know, you're a Michelin star chef. I said, the Michelin guide doesn't know you. And she says, no, I'm not. I'm not that good. You know, she was about everything. She was so humble. I said, Stella, you don't realize. You really, it was extraordinary and extraordinary food. And I think ex extraordinary in every way. It's like, so she did the food obviously amazing, but it's everything. So she, you know, she, 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 she painted, the, hand painted the menus had written the menus, you know, callig calligraphy. And then I remember you, I don't know if you remember that, that supper club, she made these little copper balls. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> She'd written by hand with her husband, Carlos, because they were both amazing crafters. I mean, you know, you, you, you went, the, these events were special, very special. And I know they were very hard for her as well. That's why she didn't do too many because with her condition, it was, you know, uh, very tiring. Um, but, oh my God, yes. Also, she was very interested and keen and good at photography, wasn't she? Food photography. She was, she was amazing. And I'm so, this is something that she's kind of took on a little bit later. And I'm, I'm glad she did. Again, attention to detail. There's a lot of depth in her photography. It's very raw, kind of. That's the only way I can describe it. And I think it's because she saw things that we, as normal people, would not see. And the way she, she managed the lights, that's the way her photography, well, the reason why her photography was genius, because... With her condition, she couldn't run or she couldn't walk fast. Everything was at a slow pace. And when you see the world that way, you see things that nobody else see. Or, you, or we do see them, but we don't pay attention to them because we walk too fast. That's the best way I can describe it. And, uh, and her photography picked all these little details so beautifully and I think that's yeah that's what was so unique about and it, it can't be replicated there was loads she had loads of followers who, who were trying to do similar things but no when I saw a picture coming on my thread on Instagram I knew it was Stella again her drawings her paintings were amazing it, again it's that ability to to pick, you know, the most, the deepest of things, you know, in her paintings, in her drawings, in her photography, and even her food, as, as you rightly said, this dish, this god, it's exactly the same.
And as a person, she always seemed very gentle to me. Uh, yeah, that's because I wrote, I was writing some notes and I, that's that's what came from the first word. Yes, very gentle, very kind. Yeah, mm. totally, totally mm. agree with that. Mm. And um, a gentle joyousness as well. And also single-minded. If she yeah. was going to do something, she was going to yeah. do it and she was going to do it well. Exactly. She, just, she knew she didn't have a lot of time. You know, I think when you live with that kind of condition or what, whoever, a lot of people like that would just, uh, I had this, so I knew someone else with different condition, but similar, she, you just take life fully. Whatever you do, you just do it, don't you? You haven't got any second thought, whether, whether, whereas we, we would, we, we do. Yes. She didn't. We waste a lot of time. Well, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Well, I mean, she is going to be terribly badly missed. Oh, yes. There's nobody, nobody like her. No, no. As I said on my post, this is one of the first, it's one of these people that you meet only once in your life, I think. And I really, truly believe that. Because yeah. she was so authentic. She just, yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't replace someone like that. I miss her. <laughs> I really miss her. But at the same time, I know she wants us to not be too sad because that's how she was and, and get on with our life and do the things that we have to do, that we really want to do. So I think if I, if I can honour Stella, I'll do that. Corrine from Gormandy's there. And there is something we can do to honour Stella's name. One of the things that really stuck with her after her trip to Mozambique was how poorer children there were treated with little love or kindness. She spoke about it over the years and how she felt so overwhelmed for not being able to do something. One of her goals was to work towards helping those in need, especially the children. Stella set up a foundation to try to help. You can follow and get involved at Stella Madzi Foundation, Stella M-A-D-Z-I Foundation. Stella's husband Carlos and her brothers, including Nelson from La Latina Busterante, are going through Stella's notes to see her ideas for it and to try and make it real. And thank you, Catalina of La Latina Busterante, for letting us know about that. At the end of the programme, we'll replay some extracts from our interviews with Stella over the years, to remind us of her and we'll point you to some of Stella's work that can be found online. Our first news break of the day now and we begin with food vans. You will need to order in advance from these, there are no walk-ups. On Wednesday the 14th, the Plough at Great Shelford has Greek food from The Cook's Nest, while the Queen's Head in Newton has Pulmi Sherry. A week later, on the 21st, the Plough in Great Shelford has steak and honour, while the Queen's Head has chicken and tings, southern fried chicken and jerk. Hot Numbers Garden in Trumpington Street is now rainproof, so a good place to sit out. They'll be open next week. Thirsty has a small outside courtyard and it's open next week with food vans out front. These vans are, on Monday the 12th, Vonnie's Balkan Express, Tuesday is Buffalo Joe's, Wednesday is Azaha Food Van, Thursday is Pizza Mondo, Friday The Cook's Nest, and on Saturday, Hanoi Rice Hat. Now, you'll need to book a table in the courtyard from Thirsty and your meal from the van. 
at Clay Farm Hobson Square on Tuesday from 5 to 8, Pizza Passions, Wednesday, Steak and Honour, Thursday, Apple and Jalapeno, Friday, Pulmi Cherie, and Saturday, Gorilla Kitchen. Well, it may be cold outside, but the wild plants are growing quickly. I asked Steve Thompson, the foraging chef and head chef at the Plough and Shepreth, if there's much to forage at the moment. Yeah, we've got a lot of nice spring blossoms, a lot of the spring greens that are really starting to come through. So we've been talking about a lot of them the last sort of month or so. What we're starting to look for now, they're all in full flow. So another one that we haven't spoken about before, it's one of the alliums, it's Allium paradoxum. One of the plants that has, as many do, the common name of wild garlic, but the more common name to it is few-flowered leek. And this is a wonderful little plant to pick. It's a good one to learn. There's another one that's quite similar called three-cornered garlic as well. Both of them are invasive species. It means once you start to find it, pick away. There's nothing that annoys me more than plants like this where you find them being sprayed in patches. The best way to control a plant like a few flowered leek is by eating. It's a wonderful food source. It stops us going to the supermarket and buying stuff in plastic packaging that's got loads of air miles on it. It's got a lovely garlicky sweet onion flavour and it's pretty easy to identify as one of the alliums. Again, the smell is a real key feature to it. It's got three parts to the leaf. It's got a classic allium flower and it doesn't have the line up the middle like a three-cornered garlic would do. If you want to see pictures of it, say Wild Food UK's website is a really good one to go on. But that's a lovely plant we're picking at the moment by riverbanks in woodland. Um, I've noticed it driving into the city actually along the edge of a couple of ditches outside some universities. So it's another good place to go. I won't say where. But yeah, it's a great plant to pick at the moment. I have a feeling we may have some of that in our allotment that has sort of just suddenly appeared there. It wouldn't surprise me. It'll either be that or the three-cornered one. And the fewer flowered leek is meant to be really invasive and spreads lots. I don't find it does spread as much. I think it's a bit more contained. The three-cornered garlic, however, definitely, Mm. definitely spreads like wildfire. And I know it is in the area of your allotment. So it wouldn't Ah, surprise me if it hasn't spread there. I will have to pick some and get you to... Double, double check. Next thing we've been finding in the woods, which has just started to come up, is spring crop of ground ivy. It's up pretty much all year round, ground ivy. I mean, you kind of get your spring crop and your autumn crop. The autumn crop is more bitter. It's best dried out as a pot herb. The spring plant, however, is much nicer. It's kind of the best way to describe the flavour, I suppose, is a cross between mint and sage. It is part of the mint family. So for identification, you're looking for the square hairy stem, first of all. That tells you it's part of that family. The leaves in the spring plant are very easy to identify and the flowers are another good one. They're purple, they're funnel-shaped and along with this kind of minty, sagey smell, there's not really a lot else you can uh, misidentify it for and it's covering all the forest floors at the moment. There's a really good chocolate brownie and ground ivy recipe on my Foraging Chef page as well, which is worth a check out. It works really well in desserts and in savoury. The other thing that we've been noticing a lot at the moment is with the nice weather is a lot of the tree blossoms coming out. So just outside my house this morning, I walked around the corner and there's a lovely burst of honey. So you look around and, yeah, linden tree straight away. The linden scent is absolutely brilliant. It's kind of, yeah, I think it's best described as a kind of honey-like scent to it, floral honey. And what we'll do with that is pretty much use it as that. So we'll make a nice light caramel and infuse that with the linden blossoms. And then we can use that for so many things, but simply drizzled over ice cream, it's absolutely fantastic. So when you say infuse, you mean... Leave the linden blossoms in there for how long would you typically leave them? Blossoms don't take too long, so I mean I'd leave them in there for maybe 24 hours. And then just strain, obviously. Yeah, and then strain it out, yeah. The other couple of kind of tree bushy 
flowers that we're getting at the moment a lot around us is the flowering currant and magnolias which I notice you've got one hanging over your fence out the back as well. We have indeed, yes. So what can you do with a magnolia? All the species in England and magnolia are all edible flowers. Some are better than others. So it's more having a little nibble and a taste. They all have a gingery element to them. Some are more ginger and some can be a little less ginger and a bit bitter. So you really want the ones that are a bit more gingery and punchy. Our favourite thing to do with them is to pickle them. So we make a one, two, three pickling liquid. So the one part vinegar, the two parts sugar, three parts water. We bring that up to the boil, dissolve everything, pour it over a jar full of packed magnolia petals and leave that down to cool. We'll leave that for about three days and then we'll strain that liquid off. And lots of people use the petals. I find that the texture goes a bit weird once they've been pickled. So to be honest, I'm looking for the liquid. And the liquid then you can use for loads of things. So later on in the year when the wild garlic seeds are about, they're absolutely fantastic pickled in magnolia. You think garlic and ginger and floral flavours work really, really well. So yeah, what we do in the restaurant with it is we take the liquid, we thicken it with a product called Ultratex, and then we use it like a ketchup, which works really well, so you think you've got a sweet and sour magnolia sauce. We use flour and currant in exactly the same way, basically, and it's just got, as, as it describes, a floral currency flavour to Ooh, it. That sounds really, really nice. So you would use it as a sauce, how else would you use it? You can use it to pickle other things, you can use it as a sauce, you can use it as base to other sauces. So say for instance, the ketchup we're talking about, we're just thickening it, but you could use it in a sweet chilli sauce. It's, I suppose there's no reason why you couldn't then turn it into a sorbet or something like that if you had ice cream machines with you and things. The flowering currants, I find another use for them that's great is uh, drying them. But I don't like magnolias dried, so it doesn't work as well for magnolias, but the flowering currants hold really well. And then you can say, infuse them into panna cottas or creme brulees and... I always thought a flowering currant was a domesticated rather than a, a wild thing. Well, I think it is, but it's still a nice thing that you find in a lot of hedgerows at this time. I think certainly a few of them are garden escapees originally, mm. and I think things like flowering currants are starting that way. There's definitely a lot more around the village where I walk, and they're a nice thing to pick. The bees love the flowers, but there's always enough flowers. This whole premise of don't pick flowers at this time of year for the bees. 99% of flowers, plants, mushrooms aren't touched by humans. We very much don't have the capabilities to cover that much land space and pick that much. So pick flowers, don't maybe take everything off the bush, but take what you need, have fun and cook with them. No, so what we're picking at the moment as well is the flowers and the buds off the Alexander's plant, which is part of the carrot family. Once you've learned how to identify it, it's not a hard one to identify. It's got a very unique peppery, perfumey, celery flavour to it. I think that's the best way to describe it, but it's quite unique, so it's kind of a taste and see what you feel. The uh, flower heads and buds on that are absolutely fantastic. They almost look like little broccoli florets. So what we do is we pick them and we dry them out and we turn them almost into a, well, we call it Alexander pollen. So the same way as you would get dill pollens and fennel pollens, it's the same family. So we do the same sort of thing and it gives a much lighter, sweeter flavour to the same plant. Simply put through a lemon drizzle cake as a little bit of a spice element, it's absolutely fantastic. There's lots of other chefy things we do with it, but through a lemon drizzle cake, you can't go too far wrong. Anything else you would be suggesting? At the moment, yeah, it's just keeping going with things like the wild garlics, obviously. Nettles are doing really well at the moment, and there's something that often gets overlooked. Nettle and potato soup, especially on a cold, windy day like today, is absolutely fantastic. Oh, yes, I made some last year, I remember you talking about it, and I went and picked the nettles and made some very nice soup. I've got some purple dead nettles in the garden, but should I be picking them or...? They're absolutely fine to pick, the purple and the white dead nettles, but I think the best ones to go for are the stinging nettles. The flavour's far supreme.
With the cold weather, maybe you want to begin foraging in your garden. Steve had a quick look at part of mine to see if there was anything worth picking. So here we've got a nice little one, bane of most gardeners. Oh, ground elder. Ground elder. It's an absolutely lovely plant. It's kind of like a slightly more perfumey parsley. Goes really well with fish, like parsley would. Oh, that's over there. We've got some of that here as well, closer to us. So this is part of the brassica family, and this is hairy bittercress. Oh, that's lovely. It's oh really, my gosh. Mm. Really tasty herb. Got a nice little mustardy kick to it. There's so many little things like that that you have around your garden. That exactly, really which, out for. as long as you haven't sprayed. That's mm. the important thing. I think they say something like two years after, so if you have sprayed, wait a couple of years. Right, well, we do tend not to. We do tend to hand weed. But uh, yeah. it's lovely to think that actually, in one sense, you don't even have to go outside your garden to forage. We find now that a lot of things, like especially like hairy bittercress, grow in a lot of the pots that we have. And we find instead of pulling them out now, we leave the roots in and just snip off what we want each time. That's really nice. wait for them to go back again next year. Oh, what about that over there? Hang on. Yep. <laughs> So chickweed's another nice one. I think we've talked about it before. We have it? indeed, yes. And it's yeah. a lovely fresh pea kind of flavour. You can see you've got that Mohican hairs that just go down one side of the stem along oh, there. Oh, yes. Let's see if we've got a flower that's open. We haven't got a flower that's open wide here. Uh, it looks like ten petals and it's five. Quite. Mm. Yeah, well, it's another one that we use quite a lot at home in salads and stuff. Oh, we have it growing nice. like a carpet through our drive. So we've done a little bit of garden foraging, Steve, but are there any mushrooms around? Yep, so keep a look out on any of your St George's mushroom patches at the moment. None of mine have come up yet. I know a couple of other people who have got the start of fruiting patches, but keep an eye on them and see what happens. And the one that I've seen quite a few people get at the moment is the morels. I'm not going to go into where you'd find the proper wild morels, but we're going to go into where we can find the Morcella Impetuna, which is kind of... It's your wood chip morel is the easiest way to describe it. Keep an eye out on all the kind of new housing estates, new build supermarkets, in all the wood chip. If you just laid wood chip in your garden, have a look. They like that kind of environment. They're not the same quite as the wild morels, but they're nice and easy to identify still. Growing on your wood chip and you're much more likely to find them. From what I understand, it's more the ones that coniferous wood chip that maybe has come over from the States and things like that. And what do these taste like, these morels? They're very similar to the other morels. They've got that lovely flavour it's important that you cook morels through really well they're not one to serve raw morels stuffed with a nice light truffle mousse fried in butter there's not many better things than that (laughs) that sounds absolutely gorgeous sounds like we've got pretty good foraging tips for april steve yeah that should keep us going for the next month if it's going to get a little bit warmer we'll be out there and hunting for what we can find yeah perfect Some more news now, and it's a big week coming up for food venues with outside areas. Here's a quick roundup of some of the places that are opening. Café Foy on the quayside in Cambridge is back in full action from Monday. Opening hours are 11.30 to late on Monday, and then 10 to late all days except Sunday when it's 10 till 7. And the Pheasant in Great Chishill is hoping to reopen on April the 19th. It closed three years ago and has been rescued with a lot of community effort. Thrive in Norfolk Street is taking bookings for the outdoor terrace from Monday. Book via email thrive at thrivecambridge.com or send a message via Instagram. And finally for now, in Barton, the White Horse reopens next week with new natural wood Thai-style structures to go along with the Thai-style food. And we'll have more news later in the programme. But you might, like me, have been impressed by the emergence of Hobson's Square in Clay Farm as a food destination. 
In fact, Clay Farm Food is run entirely by volunteers and they won the Mayor's Volunteer for Cambridge Award. It's a really uplifting story of how to help the people of a new community come together and get to know each other. I spoke with Francesco, then Diego and James about how the food offer evolved and where it's heading. Frankie, the story of the of the food trucks at, uh, at Clay Farm really begins with a desire to bring the community together, to, to get a community feeling going, I suppose. And the, there was a community garden where it all began. That's correct, yes. Going back 2016, which is when uh, my wife and I moved to the area, um, we knew of this community garden because of my wife's background as you know in the gardening industry. She got involved, and we quickly realised that the community garden was the what had the potential to become the focal point uh, of, of of our community. So we decided to invest loads of uh, time and effort, you know, in in helping. Uh, at the beginning, it was run uh, by a a local girl called Lee, and she was welcoming also like people with mental health issues, which was a great thing. And, and then uh, to, in order to generate more interest, because it's always hard at the beginning of any project you know, to, to, to draw interest, we decided that, uh, well, a girl called Serena, a London local girl called Serena, she decided to uh, organise food trucks uh, every Thursday uh, in summertime. Uh, which proved a great success. Once Serena had, and was no longer able to, you know, to carry on with that, Diego and myself uh, took over, and um, and and there's been a you know a growing success ever since. I mean, we've seen a yeah, huge turnout, and people were really grateful. It became like a like a like an event every like an ev- a weekly event for family to gather around, and luckily we were blessed with loads of good weather as well. Yeah, Families were yeah. you know able to just you know put their blankets down, the children would run around, people can have a drink, have a chat. But but people got to know each other. People yeah, were sort of new I mean, neighbours. I I I I know through these events, I've got to meet so many people in the community that I really feel like I belong here. Like my wife and I were discussing this, you know, not long ago. We were, we really felt like you know we really feel like we we belong to this community. We're now looking for just to give you, you know, we're looking to move out of our flat because it's small and we've got a young family, but we don't want to move out of the area. And now I feel like so settled, especially you know with the kids and the school and I know. So yeah, I mean, I think the, the community garden was absolutely uh, key uh, for our, for this to happen uh, and right. not just for us, for loads of families. And now it's moved from the garden into the square. So if I talk to Diego about that, he can fill absolutely. me in on that. Yeah, okay. Sure. So Diego, Diego, the the um, the food trucks really sort of moved off the, the garden and, and into the square. So what was your involvement? Various traders have uh, asked uh, for more space, also later uh, after October and, and during winter. So we had the square that was just uh, newly built. And we thought that it might be a good idea to move perhaps uh, some of this uh, onto the square and bring some life to the square. Um, and, and so we offered a few slots, started to um, make it a regular thing in the evening during uh, weekdays. Um, and yeah, it's, from, from there it, it, it now grew into, into what it is, uh, most uh, lunch and uh, dinners. So there's a lot of traders involved. It's built up, I thought, really quite quickly actually. And James has been involved in that as well. And yeah, at one point uh, I, I had to take back some time for family and uh, and, and my day work. So uh, that's that's when we already had a, a working relationship with James. Uh, 
regarding organization and, and other events around here. Uh, and so, yeah, I asked him if, if he could help and, and, and take over most of the organization. Right. Because you're all volunteers, aren't you? All volunteers, yeah. 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 So, James, what's your, what have you been up to? <laughs> so, I think the, one of the next steps really was we then developed this kind of social media aspect, particularly in the lockdown. We obviously weren't going around and we wanted to spread the message that there were facilities available in the square so yeah as of today I think we're at nearly 650 followers on the clay farm food Instagram and I think a similar number on Facebook and you know some of the feedback we get from residents is you know it was a great way to stretch their legs and get outside being able to speak to people particularly some of those that might be living on their own or distant from other family members and friends now that we've moved to a point where you know people can meet in six it's been a great way whilst things are still closed to allow people to come together even if it's just for a bite to eat um, and then from the food truck side obviously they've said it's been great to come to a new venue that they weren't familiar with to a new part of Trumpington that's obviously seeking to kind of mesh the new and the old together and really bring the community together but you're getting quite good numbers as well to the trucks i've heard yeah um weather is always a challenge uh, certainly and some of the food trucks have obviously great reputations from being in existence for a long time and it's been great to support some of the newer food trucks as well and really help them establish themselves because they're all part of the community at the end of the day Mm. and that's been the key to help both residents and independent traders a lot of them are then supporting independent food producers so it's it's all part of that circular economy yeah and you're thinking of a market yes so it kind of brings it full circle serena mitchell who we um might have mentioned earlier that started and she's to do with kofco she's to do with kofco and really helped to instigate kind of that community aspect with the food and the community garden we just started the conversation with her about utilizing the square as a as a market potentially on a once a month basis with you know local food producers particularly those suppliers you know looking at the organic side and sustainability um, and also provide those kind of amenities to the local community and, and also act as as a community location We'll see how that goes. It's uh, a lot more organisation on top of what's already happening. We could um, almost do with a full-time employed organiser by the sound of it. I, I think between us, we, yeah, we probably rack up significant number of hours outside of our day jobs. Um, and ironically, all of us have young families as well. But um, I think the feedback that comes, obviously there are sometimes some challenges, but the overall feedback becomes it has really helped to blend communities together. And you know, I now speak with with residents that are from all across Trumpington, and we have people that visit now that obviously lockdown allows. You know, people that haven't maybe heard of or tried any of the food trucks that are less familiar. And so, knowing that this exists and having that has really allowed other people to stretch their legs and enjoy the parks that are nearby and these are all new so it's it's nice to see yeah well, it's all really quite exciting and you're playing a really important part in helping the community to come together yeah and i suppose it would be to say that uh, if anyone thought that they couldn't do it then uh, everyone involved in the volunteering to date have been 
young young adults with families um, all with um, many things going on in their day lives so every little bit helps really yeah that's fantastic well well done james and frankie and diego as well thank you very and, much and serena for and serena and mustn't forget serena <laughs> <laughs> thank you that's such a positive story and if you don't know it the whole area around clay farm is worth a visit hobson square where the food trucks are now has benches you can sit and enjoy your food on Nearby there are plenty of interesting places, there's a nature reserve, Hobson Park and several lakes and there's also the Trumpington Community Orchard, all good places to explore. You can follow Clay Farm Food on Instagram at Clay Farm Food. We're going to be taking a short break now but we will be back with Dave Fox's advice for growing fruit and veg and how to cope with this cold weather. More food news, uh, job vacancies, and at the very end of the programme, we will listen to Stella Pereira talking about food and bringing people together. Cambridge 105 Radio. Cambridge Breakfast with Julian Clover and Lucy Malazzo. It's the breakfast show that's all about Cambridge. We've got the news. National and local. Travel updates. From the A14 to Milton Bode and all stations to Cambridge. The people and the places. Plus guests in our Friday food club. Cambridge Juice. All the new things to do in the city. Our daily quiz. Oh yes, questions, questions with Lucian. And all request Jukebox Friday. And don't forget the coffee. Cambridge Breakfast with Julian Clover and Lucy Malazzo. Here with a fresh blend weekday mornings from 7. What's in your spare room? Christmas decorations? Maybe an old exercise bike? Could you give that room to a young person along with a fresh start? St Christopher's Fellowship is looking for people to become foster carers in Cambridgeshire to provide safe, caring homes for teenagers who need help. And because we've been working to improve young people's lives since 1870, you can trust that you're not on your own. You'll receive regular training, dedicated social worker support and space to share experiences with other carers. It's more than a spare room, it's a brighter future. Call 0800 234 6282 or visit stchris.org.uk slash fostering. St Christopher's, creating brighter futures. Hi, Pam here. Are you tired of the same old shops? Drop into Fantasia on Mill Road near Parker's Peace. Enter our treasure cave full of fine clothing and exotic homewares. Natural materials, uplifting ambiance, mood improvement guaranteed. Perk up your wardrobe, your home, your life. Dare to shop different. Fantasia, 64 Mill Road, Cambridge. Fantasia.uk.com for opening times, please see fantasia.uk.com. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour and back now to Trumpington, where I met Dave Fox and we talked about how growers can deal with the cold weather, which has overlapped with the start of the growing season. Um, but yeah, um, extraordinary weather, weather patterns. Some, we've had some really warm days. Now it's going to be very cold for a couple of days and then more frost forecast at, at the weekend when the program's going out. So yeah, it's definitely time to um, just be aware of what that might do to your plants should you delay planting and sowing, sowing stuff. Maybe it's better to keep things inside for a little, little longer. What about things that you can't stop, like the blossom on fruit trees? Because that's mm. susceptible to frost, but how cold does it have to be before you get a frost at the sort of height of the typical fruit tree on 
an allotment or in a garden? Um, well, so when a ground frost is forecast, that's at ground level, because obviously, you know, colder air fall, fall, falling means that the, is, the ground is going to be the uh, where the lowest um, temperature is reached, and sometimes that's um, just a just a touch of frost, which might damage um, the non-hardy plants at ground level, but couple of meters up in the air the blossom will be fine because it'd be a touch warmer but also because of airflow so frost tends to collect where it's blocked where the wind where the wind is blocked so you know air, air will tend to um, just be stationary for a while and then it's going to get it's going to get colder so the, the one thing you can do if the trees are small enough and you've got a, a piece of uh, fleece large enough is as you say cover it things like strawberries are starting to come into flower aren't they so so last year I put quite a lot of effort into um, covering my strawberries with fleece because around this time we did have a succession of frost forecast and I did save quite a lot of the flowers and got a good crop of strawberries but yeah if you're really keen put some fleece put some fleece over them because the um, strawberry flowers or the strawberry plants are completely hardy the flowers are very vulnerable and if you spot strawberry flowers so white petals with a black center that's the symptom of frost damage and that flower is um, that flower's going to die that's not going to produce fruit um, but it's no great disaster and as long as the plant is strong underneath it's going to produce um, more flowers quickly enough and you'll right. just get strawberries a week later so and what about you say you might we might need to delay it on sowing what, what sorts of things should we be sowing at the moment and in the near future so April's a great month because you can sow almost everything outside. I mean, the, the, the roots, the carrots, the beets, the, the parsnip, um, chard. I mean, lettuce and radish has, is in already, but you continue sowing those because they're, they're very quick growing. Um, uh, spinach, uh, onions, so uh, probably not onion seed, but um, onion sets, they can, they can go in and they can go in during March. They're, they're, they're very hardy as well. The one ex one exception is is the um, the non-hardy crops. So we're thinking of the cucurbits, uh, the, the cucumbers and the squashes and so on, and and the courgettes, and uh, also tomato family, um, tomatoes, uh, aubergines, peppers. We don't want to sow those outside. We want to sow those inside and bring the plants on, and then harden them off and only plant them out when as as the seed packet always says when the when the danger of frost is passed and, and of course how do you know that without a, a crystal ball or an extremely good weather app actually so that i'm a great fan there's several really good apps out there and I, I think you know weather forecasting has improved so much during my my gardening um time well worth keeping a close eye on that and you get to the i don't know second or third week of may and you look at the 10-day forecast and you think right yeah i'm going to chance a few of my tomatoes but don't put them all out keep some back until the first week of June just just, just in case so I'm I, th I guess I'm saying the sort of two classes of things there's quite a lot can go straight in the ground but then the uh, the tender stuff yeah do sow it now but in pots inside or in your greenhouse if you're lucky enough to have one of those and potatoes you mentioned potatoes ah, before yes. potatoes should should be in should they <laughs> well apparently not so uh, <laughs> I've got about half of my potatoes in the ground and I'm very worried about them because of the, the, the hard frost <laughs> that's forecast tonight. Wiser gardeners, and, and no doubt some lazier gardeners as well, or people with jobs and other things in their life, haven't got around to planting their potatoes yet, and that's probably quite a good thing given the frost that's forecast. Um, but yeah, in, in, in theory, um, Easter is a good time to plant, plant potatoes, although that's a, obviously a movable feast. Yeah, get, the, get them in, as long as, they're, as long as they're reasonably well chitted. 
they, you don't want the chips to get too long because then they're going to break a little, start tend to break as you as you put the potatoes in the ground. But yeah, I'd, after this hard frost, I'd get the potatoes in, get them all in. Yeah, right. Uh, the the chits are the sort of the sprouts the where yeah. they're sprouting. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. little tip, if if I may, with that, which is really working for me, is that the fewer the chits, the larger the potatoes. So um, you, if you break, so if you've got like five chits coming off a, a seed potato, break three of them off. I mean, be brave, get rid of them, and then you're just going to have two. The potato is going to produce just two main shoots, and you will get a smaller number of larger potatoes, which in the kitchen is, is a big is a big advantage. I mean, you might, you probably also want a pan full of uh, small new potatoes as well. So leave the leave the chits leave the chits on in that case. So do half and half, and just see the difference. Right. For sowing seeds, which, as you said, we can be doing sort of from roundabout now, what's the best way of preparing the ground? And, and does it need to be prepared in advance much, or what? Depends on the seed. I mean, I mean, I suppose the first thing to to remember is that seeds want to grow, and you know, given suitable conditions, so above eight degrees Celsius, maybe above ten, preferably ten, most seeds will. Will germinate with a little bit of moisture and and, so, and soil around them. So it's not it's not rocket science. And if you just stick seed in the ground, some of it will grow. However, um, for better results, yeah, you do want to prepare the um, prepare the soil. What I would suggest is hoe the hoe the ground a couple of weeks before you're planning to sow, if you can, because that gives weeds the chance to germinate and then you can hoe them off again and put, and put your seed in which gives your seed a, a chance it means you're not going to have to spend so much effort hoeing around your crop um, but a broad bean seed bed doesn't need as much uh, careful cultivation as would carrots for example because they're small seed and if you put them into a rough a rough bed like like my neighbours here then uh, the seed's sort of going to get lost and you're not going to end up with a straight row and that so yeah um, for the smaller seeded crops I would um, go over it with my miller tool several times. That's something which uh, chops up the clods and yeah. makes a, a fine tilth. Another one of those magic phrases you find, always find <laughs> on the seed back in this <laughs> ideal world. Every every row is straight and the tilth is fine and the sun is warm. And yeah. Um, so another aspect of preparation is fertility. So better to add some sort of fertilizer for for most for most crops. Um, an exception would be um, carrots and parsnips don't particularly need um, very much, and they don't they don't respond well if there's uh, moisture retentive material in the, in the soil. Or rather, they respond, but they respond in all different directions, rather than going straight down, which is what <laughs> which is what you probably want if you're going to produce a, a nice uh, a nice uh, tapered uh, tap root. So I like to add my compost a, a few months before sowing. Mm. So now, now, now he tells us they say <laughs> concentrate it on the things that are really going to like it, like the brassicas, quite heavy feeders, um, and tomatoes and so on. But that's probably the way to go. There's there's also um, other easier to use composts. There's this um, stabilised farmyard manure product that we sell from the trading hut here at Foster Road Allotments. Got an advert there, um, and that's quite good stuff. You can you can just sprinkle that onto the soil, and it um, it's very easily incorporated. So that's quick fertility. It's better to add that a little bit earlier rather than trying to feed the plants later when they're already established. You right. Feed the soil. Feed the soil, not the plant. That's right. the, that's the thing. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure, as always. 
And that was Dave Fox, the recently married Dave Fox. So congratulations to him and Ali. More news now. The fish butchery on Mill Road will open towards the end of April. They'll be selling fresh fish and seafood from the counter, as well as Finboy's sauces and deli items. There'll be food to take away too. The Plough in Shepworth reopens on the 12th with a heated terrace and marquees. Here's head chef Steve Thompson. There's some wonderful dishes. There's some uh, salmon that we're going to have that's warm and raw. It's going to be with fermented lettuce. It's with elderflower. There's going to be new potato on there. There is spicy hawthorn. So there's some really interesting flavours and some sea lettuce on there as well. So how can people find out a little bit more? So the menus at the moment are up on our social media. Keep an eye on that. Wow. Is the Plough at Shepworth, yeah. So we're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or you can search for The Foraging Chef on Facebook. Parker's Tavern reopens on Parker's Peace on the 12th of April. There's a menu on its website and it's good to see that its pizzas are back. The home-cured sardine one I had last summer was really good and there it is, back on the menu with capers and wild garlic. Other joys include lobster and garlic butter pizza and grilled squid and chips. Parker's Tavern's excellent afternoon teas to go begin on the 21st of April. The Willow Tree in Bourne reopens on April the 14th with pods available to eat out in. All the details can be found on social media, including Facebook and Instagram. Look for Willow Tree Bourne. Here's a tiny sample of the food on offer. Some examples would include starters such as grilled local asparagus, salt and pepper calamari, a vegan beetroot and red onion tartar pan with duca and pesto. I gather that you also have these things called poke poke bowls. But yeah, they're a really interesting food originating from Hawaii, which offer a really good kind of tasty, uh, nutritious meal in a bowl uh, made up of various hot and cold fresh produce, uh, lots of colour, combination of hot and warm. Good news from Cambridge Sustainable Food Partnership. They have received a £30,000 grant in recognition of the impact that their work has had on local people hit hardest by the COVID-19 crisis. The grant will help them to fund resilient community-based solutions to food poverty. Now, their work so far has included establishing and supporting community food hubs, with an average of 3,129 people visiting monthly, delivering a holiday lunch programme that has delivered 18,066 cooked meals and bags of ingredients to 429 low-income families. Their future work includes supporting three food hubs in low-income areas to identify what the local community needs most – Part of the grant will support Cambridge's first community farm, CoFarm, in running growing activities with the local community and donating close to 100% of its harvest throughout this year. And we will be bringing you updates on this very good work here on Flavour across future months. And that's the sound of Green Onion signalling the start of our jobs section. The Finboy's Fish Butchery, opening later this month in Mill Road, is looking for a chef stroke fishmonger. For details, send a direct message to Finboy's on Instagram. Fitzbillies needs an e-commerce and digital marketing manager. The pay is from £27 to £30,000 and is full-time or part-time, that is, from three to five days a week. Full details are in Fitzbillies' Instagram bio. Modigliani in Mill Road is looking for a part-time shop assistant for the weekends. 
If you're interested in that, send a CV and covering letter to Modigliani, I'll spell that M-O-G-D-I-G-L-I-A-N-I, Modigliani at themodigliani.group.org. Or you can just pop into the shop. The Olive Grove in Regent Street has a vacancy for a grill chef. Previous experience, two years preferably, is essential. Parker's Tavern is looking for chefs to party and commie chefs. The Petersfield in Hooper Street is looking for a head chef. You can apply via the City Pub's website. Scott's All Day in Mill Road needs a chef to party. And that takes us almost to the end of our programme for today. Don't forget that we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon and repeated on Mondays at 6pm. We'll also be available, of course, by podcast early next week. Uh, We'll be back on the 24th of April, but until then, we'll leave you with details of where you can see some of Stella Pereira's marvellous work. As well as her Instagram account, Stella Mar Pereira, there's also an Instagram, Pear Pan Tree, uh, Stella had a blog, littlecakepot.com, and there is also Stella, brackets, Panganweka. Now, let's listen back to the voice of Stella Pereira, who was such an inspiring part of the Cambridge food scene, and who we will all miss. When I do my, my supper clubs, you'll notice that my tables are not just plates and forks and food. Everything that goes into it has, has a meaning, so I'll start by illustrating the menus, and I'll make you napkins and I'll set the table with plates that I find along the way. And every plate or every piece that's on the table has a bit of a story behind it. That's nice. So, so with the grazing table, I get opportunity of, of including all, my, all the stuff that I've been collecting. With these supper clubs, the, the one thing I want to, to have always at the menu is cod, Portuguese salt cod which actually doesn't come from Portugal at all. It comes from Norway. And we always insist that it has to be from Norway for, for whatever reason. But it's, it's getting easier to find in Cambridge. I've actually found a shop that, that sources it. So is salt cod popular in Portugal? It's very popular. It's, um, we have different dishes all through the year, but one of the things that sticks all through the year because of its nature of it being salt, salted and preserved is cod. One of the things about Portuguese cod is that there's over a thousand recipes just for salt cod alone. And and usually it, it'd be cod and potatoes but made in a thousand different combinations if, if you can fathom if you can think of that. So yeah. yes, it's it's very popular in Portugal. One of the things I want to do in the future actually is is perhaps create a Portuguese cookbook. Uh, because I'm an artist, I would like to illustrate it as well. So Watch this space perhaps in the next few months. There'll be something out Yeah, there. well, there's some very nice artwork on your blog, which is obviously oh, your you. artwork. And, yes. I, and uh, to be honest, if they were the illustrations in a book, it would make a really attractive book, I think. Well, thank you. So we will watch this space. Yes. And, and, and you must come back and tell us about it when things develop more. Yes. There's actually a series that I did in my, in my art um, blog, pangaweka.com, where it's uh, my Portuguese kitchen where I've already illustrated about uh, five recipes, five Portuguese recipes, so it'll be along those lines. It's become a habit of mine to create, to make jam every time there's a new fruit in season. I started with four. There was um, strawberry port and Mm -hmm. bay leaf. That happened quite by chance, and as does most of my cooking. I just sort of experiment in the kitchen and pull out all the herbs and pull out everything I have and just mix things. And with the port, 
and bay leaf. The bay leaf seems to intensify the flavor of the strawberries, so I, I like that. The other two that I had was the, the orange compote, and I added some muscatel and some vanilla because I love muscatel and I keep putting it in everything. Because it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my father's recipe, actually. Oh! My dad is obsessed with orange marmalade. Yeah. My dad's obsessed with orange marmalade, so I, I had to put that as one of my first jams. And the other one, which is also quite interesting, is the tomato uh, port and basil. The tomato jam comes from my husband's side of the family. His mother makes an incredible jam, and I hope one day I can sort of match her jam. But I've <laughs> tried my best. I had basil lying around and I just threw a few and it actually worked really well for my How do you eat these jams? You're not like a normal jam, slap it on some toast. No, first of, <laughs> first of all there's a lot there's a lot of fruit in it, uh, there's yeah. about more than 60% of fruit in it but we would usually have them with cheeses, so from fresh cheeses to goat's cheeses they work really well I like the tomato jam with a goat's cheese, with a strong goat's cheese and that's how we have it, you could either have it for breakfast or you could have it after a meal instead of dessert, have cheese jam and sourdough. Lovely. So there's hazelnut, chocolate, uh, churros, orange, oh. uh, cherries, uh, what else? What have I missed? Oh, rhubarb, roast rhubarb in port. Is that the ice cream? That was amazing. Do you want <laughs> The salt cod, it's on the menu, it's just down a salt cod. So there's the bacalhau obrage, which is sort of like the hash. That was in the middle of the plate. This is nice. And then there's the salt cod with the crust, the crumbs, with the broas, which is uh, cornbread. So two dishes. And then there's the pastel bacalhau, which is a shredded cod and potatoes and parsley again. But it's just a different texture. It's, it's a, a little sort of like croquette, slightly stringy. And it's the way you... you uh, treat the the salt cod so you pull it until it's become quite stringy and then the other one was the again salt cod and potatoes but it's cod and cream so in Portuguese it's bacalhau con uh, and I made that into a little croquette as well so this this dish just shows you what you can do with salt cod because even though you've only got like two or three basic ingredients salt cod potatoes and parsley uh, and then there's the onion and the garlic because cod needs garlic you can achieve completely different textures and flavors depending on how you treat the cod itself so that one plate contained yeah. four different dishes technically yeah four different dishes in one that was amazing the ice cream was rhubarb forced rhubarb and that was macerated in port and orange peel and then slow roasted, then churned into an ice cream. I also did a port reduction, which I added during the churning process. And it was very well received. The atmosphere was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, the, the thing that I enjoy most about the supper is, is to me, it's not just the food. The food is just an element that gets people talking. To me, it's, it's actually the people that sit around the table, and I keep saying this, it's, it's the people, because you can give them, you know, really, really good food, and if you don't have the right atmosphere, it's not going to be an enjoyable night. And sometimes, if you have really simple food, you can achieve a magical evening, just with the mood, the lighting, you know. Everything on the table kind of brings that together. Uh, the music, the use of the community around us. So, so 
yeah, it's, it's about bringing people together at the table. Uh, people that don't know each other, some know each other, but they'll leave like they've known each other f- for all their lives. I think I think you kind of got that feeling at the end of it. Yeah, well, it was a great night. So thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Because if I find something that she says that sounds really nice and has the perfect ending, it will need the perfect little tune to go with it. And it will be a positive ending. It'll be about how, how happy she is to do these gatherings. Okay.